Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. Hello, and welcome to the Movie Trap. My name is Russell Carlson, and with me are my two cohorts, as always, Chris Boroff. Hello. And uh, joining me back uh, from the land to the land of the living, Zach Powers. Uh, yeah, Deep Dish, Sears Tower, Corruption, <laughs> etc. Uh, welcome to the Movie Trap on the Movie Trap. Uh, one of the three hosts you just met picks a theme, and then each of the hosts picks a movie based on that theme. Uh, after we've watched all three movies, we then vote with an allocated amount of points, plus some bonus points we get along the way. And uh, whichever host's movie wins that vote, they get to pick the next theme. So previously on the movie trap, way long time ago, uh, we decided to... Zach won... Um, the sports movies theme, and he has chosen the theme of movies based off of the cities that we currently, or in one particular case, used to reside in. Um, so that's where it's we're the, at now. It's the Zach, Battle it's, of the Cities. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, we are we are joining today uh, with Zach's first choice of Chicago, and it is 2018's Widows, directed by Steve McQueen. Um, basically, to give you a better idea, to recap the idea of a theme, basically, Zach's living in Chicago, Chris is living in L.A., and when we first started this podcast a decade ago, uh, I was living in New York City. So those are the movies that we are picking are... That's the theme. Those are the movies we're all coming from. So we're all... Unlike previous themes of the movie, Trap, where we're all kind of pooling from the same kind of uh, collection... We're each doing a different thing, so it's a it's a we we did almost thing. make Russell pick a Pueblo movie. I, I um, can do it. I can do it. Lightning Jack, baby, that shit was shot in Pueblo. Part um. parts of National Lampoon's Vacation were filmed in Pueblo. That's right. That's the right. parts um, with Cousin Eddie. That's right. I mean, the if movie I had Avalanche to, was filmed not too far from here. If I had to do Santa Clarita, I have a whole TV show, but no movies, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, so anyway, before we get into the nitty and indeed gritty uh, world of Widows, uh, let's just get a quick update of where we stand at the points, because we're all zeroed out, but just to let the listeners at home where we stand. Um, we each get, each of us gets three bonus points that we can divvy up and award to each other, which for whatever reason, uh, whatever reason we want to. Um, but we all start out with a base point value of 10. So right now... Each of us has 10 points for yep. final voting, but we have each three bonus points to give out to each other if we choose to. So, and if we don't give those bonus points out, they disappear. We cannot right. save them for ourselves. They're, they're, they're not accrued. You, you don't get interest. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, this is a limited time offer only for first time subscribers. See terms and conditions. Um, so with that in mind, Zach, why don't you go ahead and give us a rundown of Widows? Widows is a 2018 sort of crime thriller movie uh, directed by Oscar winner Steve McQueen, who also directed uh, 12 Years of Slaves, Hunger, 12 Years a Slave, Hunger, Shame. Um, and I think that's all. Uh, Small so acts. He had like a, it's like a s- installment series on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. It's pretty good. So, and then Small acts, a, a mini series of some kind. Um, 
And uh, yeah, uh, and it was written by him and Gillian Flynn, who you might remember from, say, Gone Girl or Sharp Objects. She's a she's a novelist. Um, regardless, it's based on an old British uh, television series, and it is the story of uh, a group of women in Chicago. Um, three women, in fact, who are married to a gang of criminals. Um, and their uh, criminal uh, husbands who uh, are led by Liam Neeson, who is uh, married to Viola Davis, um, are seemingly killed after a major heist uh, in the streets of Chicago. They are running away with $2 million um, of a local crime boss's money, uh, and their uh, van is blown up. They're shot to death. It seems so they have all been killed. Um, and that leaves the widows to sort of pick up the pieces. Um it turns out the crime boss they stole from is a guy named Jamal Manning, who is running to be the alderman of the 18th Ward, a ward on the south side of Chicago. He is running against a uh, longtime uh, political family, um, the Mulligans, in this case, Colin Farrell as Jack Mulligan, son of uh, Robert Duvall, who is the former alderman of that same uh, ward. Um, and uh, Jamal is not happy that a bunch of his money was stolen by Liam Neeson before he fucked off and died. Uh, he comes to um, Veronica, which is Viola Davis's character, and says, you got one month to pay back my money or pretty much I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to murder you. Um, uh, and so uh, obviously that is quite a problem for her. Uh, at the same time, the other two widows, um, Elizabeth Debicki, who is Alice, um, and Michelle Rodriguez, who is Linda, are also in financial dire straits. Debicki basically realizes they have no reserve money and uh, she is uh, functionally broke uh, after the death of her husband. And uh, Michelle Rodriguez finds that her husband um, has been gambling a lot uh, to, you know, going out with money lenders and stuff. And her shop, which she thought was in her name, is suddenly repossessed by uh, some kind of loan shark character. Um, so all three of these women are pretty much in dire straits. Uh, Rodriguez has to take care of her children. Um, and it's worth noting that Alice was also previously regularly abused by her now dead husband. Um, regardless, uh, Veronica, uh, trying to get her way out of this particular problem, uh, goes to, uh, the local, the safety deposit box that her husband kept, where she finds a little notebook that details all of his schemes and crimes, and indeed uh, a potential upcoming heist that he had been planning um, uh, that is potentially worth a lot of money uh, because, you know, it, it includes all this kind of high-end robber's secrets. Um, and uh, she decides to get together the other two widows as her accomplices to pull off this final heist, which will not only get the $2 million back for Jamal Manning, but also uh, give, have enough for each of them to walk away with another $1 million. Um, at the same time, uh, we go ahead and meet uh, Jamal's brother, uh, Jatem Manning, who's played by Daniel Kaluuya, uh, who is basically uh, the, the guy who gets shit done for Jamal. He's an enforcer. Hitman. Yeah, he, he, he does. does the wet He's, work, as he, they he, say. He, he paints houses. Barely yeah. controlled psychopath. Yeah. 
Right. Uh, he, whenever somebody needs to either be hurt or killed, uh, this is the guy they sent. Um, uh, yeah. So, um, ultimately they get together at this place. Alice has begun to work as a sort of an, uh, high-end escort, you know, a, a pay to date kind of situation and, uh, meets this guy who is at the very least willing to give her a bunch of money to continue to see him. Um, and, uh, afterwards still does end up attending this sort of, uh, this meeting between the three of them where they work out this plan to rob what turns out to be, uh, Jack Mulligan, the guy who is running against Jamal Manning's campaign headquarters, uh, of $5 million. Um, they've got this blueprint, they've got, uh, this notebook that details the outline, uh, and they've got theoretically a driver in, uh, Veronica's personal chauffeur, a man named Bash. Um, but as Jamal gets increasingly angry at Veronica's slow, uh, you know, her, her, um, gradual rate at which she is repaying <laughs> his money, uh, he sends Jatem to go ahead and kill Bash in an attempt to get the notebook back from her because it potentially has, you know, again, useful informations for potential crimes, these blueprints, things of that nature. Um, and so uh, now they need a new getaway driver. Um, at which point uh, we uh, we're pulled into um, Bell, uh, who has been working for Michelle Rodriguez, Linda, as a uh, for hire babysitter. Um, she is pulled into the scheme as a potential, uh, sort of getaway driver for this scheme, which requires four people. And Alice's sort of sugar daddy is able to identify, uh, and give details of the blueprints stashed in Harry's notebook. And they figure out where exactly it is. Again, it's the Mulligan campaign headquarters. Um, meanwhile, um, Veronica, uh, is contending with um Amanda uh a uh, a woman who had known Henry in life sort of a family friend who uh recently had a baby um and is not interested in getting involved in this scheme um but one day while visiting Amanda uh she notices Liam Neeson's flask is on the table in her home and the dog begins to paw at one of the doors as though he recognizes somebody behind it um, at which point she begins to put two and two together and leaves without, uh, confronting, uh, Amanda, who is played by Carrie Coon or whoever is behind the door, whom we soon learn is Liam Neeson, who actually, uh, uh, faked his own death, um, killed all of his accomplices, blew up the van with a fake corpse that's supposed to be him and, uh, is working sort of with Mulligan to kind of help bring down Jamal. Like Mulligan's the only dude who really knows that this guy is still alive. And he wants to get out of Chicago, make a fresh start with his wife and kid. Mulligan's the guy who can help facilitate that. And all the while they're trying to win this alderman election. Uh, so, uh, right. Right. Uh, so, Eventually, uh, continuing the plan, the uh, CEO of the uh, person who stole the security uh, in Mulligan's office is bribed 
Apparently he had an affair with his niece or something like that. Um, and he gives them access codes. Uh, a, a very quick uh, performance by Matt Walsh. Um, uh, he gives them the access codes to the safe. And it seems like the the heist is on. Uh, it starts with um, Belle, the babysitter, setting a few cars on fire down the street to pull away the security that's posted outside the Mulligan campaign headquarters. Um, oh, it's also worth noting briefly that Veronica has gone to the Mulligan uh, campaign headquarters to case it as a representative for the teachers union, where she met uh, both Colin Farrell and Robert Duvall as the father and son Mulligan. Um, anyway, they continue with their uh, scheme as the uh, as the security is pulled away by the flaming cars. They go up to the house. They're managed to uh, overcome the security guard there and take his gun, tie him up. Um, but they are confronted, unfortunately, by Tom Mulligan, Robert Duvall, who recognizes Viola Davis and shoots Elizabeth Debicki before himself being shot fatally by Michelle Rodriguez. Um, and uh, then they manage to get into the safe, take the money, and, uh, and you know, get back to the car and start to plan to get away. Unfortunately, Jatem has figured out what is going on, has kind of cottoned to the fact that they are planning a scheme. He's been watching Veronica and has already uh, taken their escape van by, uh, by, you know, holding a gun up to Bell. He kicks the four of them out of the car and drives off with the money, but they manage to uh, get into another car, a backup car, which I presume they steal, chase mm -hmm. him down, uh, ram him from behind when he's not expecting it, causing him to crash into a road partition, which kills him. Uh, they steal the money out of the back of the car, drop off uh, Alice Elizabeth Vicky at the hospital to tend to her gunshot wound and get out of there. Uh, Veronica makes it back to the safe house where, unfortunately, Harry Liam Neeson is uh, waiting um, and is desperate to start this new life with his new uh, family, uh, having been unable to get over the trauma of losing their son, uh, Veronica Fialdo Davis and Liam Neeson's son, who was killed several years earlier by a police officer, uh, which destroyed their marriage. And now Liam Neeson wants this new wife and he is willing to kill Veronica to steal the money and get it. But before he can do so, Veronica shoots and kills him. Uh, seemingly uh, ending their troubles and, and getting them away with the money. Um, um, Mulligan uh, ultimately uh, kind of comes to an agreement with Jamal, but eventually wins the election on the sympathy vote for the death of his father. Um, anyway, uh, and the Michelle Rodriguez rebuys her clothing store. Um, Viola Davis, uh, spends some of the money restoring a library at a local school and asks that it be named after her son, Marcus. Um, Belle gives some money to one of her coworkers at a hair salon who wants to start her own business and then leaves Chicago for good with her son. And, uh, at the end of the movie, um, Alice and Veronica see each other at a restaurant and uh, Veronica approaches Alice outside the restaurant and asks how she's doing in a warm manner, implying potentially they have a continued friendship. And that's pretty much the end of Widows, uh, more or less. Yeah. 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 Um, 
I kind of one thing in there real quick because there was a cameo that pops up. Um, the boyfriend or the 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 guy who hires the lady, um, the the John, I guess is what we'd call him. Uh, the played client, by I think I the guess, client. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his name is Lucas Haas. And he's a character actor who's been in tons of stuff. It's always funny when he pops up because I remember him from like uh, a l- much older films like uh, Lady in White, things like that. And Mars Witness. Attacks, right? Yeah, Mars Attacks. I think it's I remember him from Brick, and Brick too. Yeah. yeah. It's always funny when he shows up and stuff because it's like he's this odd... Um, He's almost my age, but it's just like I always kind of feel a kinship whenever I see him in something. So when he shows up in this and he's a big creep, I was like, oh, okay, well, he's not quite as much of an everyman in this, but it's fun to see him. It was a surprise. He's, there, I he mean, works pretty regular. The same year yeah. he was in this, he was in, you may remember that movie, First Man, where he played uh, Michael Collins, the other guy who was on Apollo 11. I haven't um, seen First Man. No. I... I one thing I think it also should be should mentioned about Widows is that this is also sort of it's, it's based fine. off of a British miniseries, I believe, from like the eighties. Um, and and this is kind of Steve McQueen's first project after winning the Oscar um, for Twelve Years a Slave, um, which I still have not seen. Like, I, and and I love Steve McQueen, and I I I know it's good, but I also know that it's uh, brutal to watch. So it doesn't necessarily it sound, is, because yeah. that's it, it doesn't sound like a fun movie to watch. I think Borf and I were talking about it last week, where we're like, you know, I I believe you, I believe it's good. I, you know, I'll, I'll take. I, I have seen Twelve Years a Slave is the only other McQueen movie I've seen. I have not seen Hunger or Shame, but I heard those are also fairly rough watches. Which oh, implies yes. to me that mm-hmm. uh, Widows is perhaps his lightest film. Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, and it's also. I mean, I think part of the what I think works about this movie is that the, the concept's relatively simple. I mean, it's a, it's a simple pinch to to put yourself through. But McQueen, I, I'm gonna gush a lot about McQueen. I think he's a master when it comes to like blocking and and care and choices. I I, I think C. McQueen's great. Um, and and even I think the 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 collaboration with Gillian Flynn's a, a little strange, but I I understand it and I sense why it was necessary. Um, but uh, yeah, this is sort of like I remember long time ago, Bor. If you and I were talking about like Peter Jackson and Guillermo del Toro when when mm-hmm. indie directors go mainstream, you know, mm-hmm. and, and do you think yeah, this is kind which... of that for McQueen with this movie? Mm-hmm. Well, go ahead, Chris. I'll, I'll... um. Well, I don't know. Like, the thing is, is that this is a big budget. Um, I would say that this one's a more direct, on-paper crowd-pleaser. Um, because it's essentially a straightforward heist movie um, that has, like, sure. noir elements. The thing that's not straightforward and cut and dry is the fact it's not shot like a noir film. It's it's right. shot in a way that did remind me of Chicago. Like, they used plenty mm. of the environment to kind of show off the city. Um, but yeah, this definitely it's, didn't this... feel as awkward as sometimes the first big outing of, like, an indie director is. Because, like, Rogue yeah. One was a uh, real awkward time for uh, that director. Yeah, that's wanna, why I'm right now. We talk about, like, the Americanization of people like Guillermo del Toro and Peter Jackson and that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, so yeah. That's yeah. kind of what, like, the Hollywoodization of, of filmmakers like this. And, and unlike, I mean, I... Not, well, it didn't feel English. No, it, it definitely didn't. Um, but it did feel like a McQueen film, though. 
I mean, it really, I, I mean, it really did. It's, it's well, uh, a lot of pauses and a lot I don't, of atmosphere. This, this concept of going, I don't know, maybe my definition of like this mainstreaming of sort of independent, uh, sort of unique directors has, maybe I would agree with you more in that definition 10 years ago. Now mm. I almost would not call this. I don't think that a movie like, like even Guillermo del Toro, I assume what you're talking about is like, Hellboy or Pacific Rim when you say mm. he went mainstream. I think that's still Guillermo del Toro doing Guillermo del Toro as shit. Sure. Um, and I also think that uh, Peter Jackson, he's always been kind of a Lord of the Rings was like his big outside of the weird horror movie break. So he was like kind of on that bus from the beginning. But I just think that nowadays for me, when I think of like an, a unique indie director going like mainstream. I bet, to I, me, I, bet that I can guess what you're talking about. I'm, that I'm means take one you're going to get a Marvel movie or exactly. a Star Wars I, you movie. Know, I was going to say Chloe Zhao, right? Yeah, Chloe yeah. Zhao wins the Oscar for No Man Land and then immediately, you know, gets to do the Eternals. Yeah, um, or um, yeah. the guy who did Black Panther, whose name is escaping Coogler. me right now. Yeah, yeah. Coogler. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're doing that with uh, Moon Knight. That's the, uh, the two guys uh, even connected. I can't even remember the Sam name. Raimi to me. Like, I think yeah. Doctor Strange... Even though Spider-Man was like comic book movies weren't what they are now in 2001. And like this Doctor Strange thing feels like I'm truly curious. This is a aside, just a quick tangent. My biggest thing that I'm curious about for Doctor Strange 2 is will it even feel like a Sam Raimi movie or will it just feel like a Marvel movie? Because I'm truly wondering it, how much of his style is going to yeah, be able to creep see, that's through where, the Disney you know. machine. And I think you're. I think you do have a point about like the when indie directors go mainstream in the earlier part of the millennium compared to now. Um, and even I mean, this is 2018, and I think he won the Oscar in 2017 for for 12 Years a Slave. Um, and, and but this did still feel like a McQueen and, movie, and it was and still other, very much guess... like he was still driving the bus on 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 this tone. And I mean, cause like, I remember when the movie came out and the way it was marketed, you know, well, it was, it was kind of marketed as like a high octane heist movie. And it is not that. No, I, yeah. I, I, that's what I'm thinking. Like the other thing that I'm, I'm thinking is like nowadays when you say mainstream, right? Like this movie is, I think pretty accessible to a crowd, but like movies like this that are original premise movies, even if they're like have a lot of action or intrigue or stuff like that, they just don't, do super well nowadays like mm -hmm. let's look at this movie right uh 42 million budget worldwide gross of 76 million what was it up against it was up against fantastic beasts which made 654 million dollars so about 10 times as much money like the only mainstream now to me is like franchise movies because anything yep, that's yep. not a franchise movie just doesn't make money like straight yeah full stop yeah i guess i, mean, I can it, understand it, you're, that you're, and yeah, I was and you're lucky to one, get like, go ahead, go, go ahead, Borf. Well, I was just going to say this one seems mainstream in the idea that it had Liam Neeson at sort of the, I would say semi the height of old man violence movies. <laughs> um, and he does have a type. <laughs> he does. Well, he's grown into that type now. That's very true. <laughs> but uh, it, it really did have like an ensemble cast, which on paper, you would have assumed like more people would want to show up and watch it. It's just that the oh, movie it's, itself yeah, it's a good, wasn't... Great cast, great cast. It wasn't like a big action movie. So it's one of those mm -hmm. things that if you see specifically Michelle Rodriguez in a cast, people expect a Fast and Furious. She isn't... Like, outside of Girl girl Fight, 
Well, most of her things have been big action sure. things. James Cameron stuff, yeah. But I do think in like the year 2000, right? I think there is a, a chance a movie like this makes pretty big box office numbers. Like a Scorsese movie back in the day could make pretty big box office numbers. And I just don't yeah. think that's a reality nowadays. I think you're probably right. And I think that, you know, this is sort of, you know, um, because it does seem like whenever you do win an Oscar, Hollywood sort of rewards you with like a big budget movie. Um, can't wait to see what the Parasite guy does. Um, but, uh, and so I'm glad, and, 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 and McQueen wanted to do this. He wanted to do, to remake the, the Widows TV show because he was a fan of it when he was younger. Um, and, and he wanted to do this. So, um, uh, you know, I kind of, let him go he's kind of earned the the benefit of the doubt for me because you know having seen hunger and shame and uh most of small acts like i i, I respect his work and i mean this movie it it, it they're part of the re it, it's such a such an easy plot line to follow through that it would have been easier to like pop it up a little bit to kind of give it that sort of like because heist movies you know you can go there's a pretty wide array of of tones you can go with heist movies you know i'm thinking of like anything like soderbergh or anything like that or like quippy or you could even make it funny uh this one choice this one I, I i and i understand why because the concept is widows and grief is literally implied with the title uh, but this one was very joyless there wasn't a lot of fun or any sort of uh injection of I guess I want to say energy into sort of driving home. And especially once you figure out the Liam Neeson twist, the ending kind of the heist itself lasts, I think all of two minutes in the whole movie. Like the heist itself is not the sure. highlight of the movie. And that's sort of a more than kind that, of a letdown. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like you're spending the whole movie kind of building up to that. And then it just kind of goes that way. And then it ends exactly how you would expect with, you know, Liam Neeson being the actual bad guy. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and because, because the movie doesn't have that kind of pop and pulse throughout the movie. The flat ending kind of highlights it quite a bit, in my opinion. Yeah, it's very dry. Uh, yeah. Like, that's the thing. It's not like, like a lot of times in heist movies, it's, you know, they build up the actual heist, like you said. So it's a big deal. Like, I think even like Suicide Squad, that's basically a heist mm. movie. And so mm -hmm. they built up the whole movie where it's like putting on the show, like getting the band together um you know blues brothers style where it's okay we got this person who's got this ability this person's got that ability yada 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 and you put it together and you mm -hmm. do the actual heist or even the other extreme of like ultra drama like dog day afternoon which is essentially a heist sure. movie where it goes wrong in the first five minutes and then it's consequences for the rest of it but sure. in this yeah. one there isn't enough like uh fire in any of the characters to make you really go like oh this person's like narrative i'm really curious about i was kind of i don't know how you guys felt about it but i was almost immediately uh not on the it, it felt really weird for me that viola davis and liam neeson were a couple in this because the first kiss in this looked <laughs> so gross like That's, it was that the worst screen kiss i've seen in a I, while i it looked i like, love that shot though Boref. i mean the way he the where mcqueen chooses to cut yeah. right when neeson does that kind of bite at her nose i that's when i mean that's steve mcqueen he does that shit all the time i mean i loved it i mean i get that but the thing is it let me know that something was up with that relationship <laughs> and that these two were not in a good relationship almost immediately um which i don't know if that was the intent 
Uh, but it was just rattled me, and I was like, yeah, I, I can't imagine that he's not cheating for the rest of the movie. And then it mm. got revealed, and I'm like, okay, he's he's a creep. I saw that mm-hmm. in the first moment. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you this one just casually. Does this one pass the Bechdel test? The, the, I, I, the, I would just... Oh, just, I mean, I mean, almost certainly yes, right? I mean, they discuss heist. Several named female characters discuss the plans of their heist. They discuss finding a new getaway driver. They discuss taking care, you know, like the babies where, you know, they discuss all this financial, her her shop. Yeah, you know, but it's all like predicated that. on the men in their lives. If right, but every tangentially man, related, yeah. that's such <laughs> I mean, a high... Yeah. Every like, every man in this movie is a negative force. Uh, like, the shop know. doesn't count because once a man was inside the shop, you see. Like, what? <laughs> what is this? Men still exist in this world. The only true Bechdel test passer is one where men are dead. <laughs> <laughs> but too late. They already canceled Why the Last Man. Um oh. Yeah, no, I mean it. I yeah, and I kind of like that idea too. The the Real Housewives of Breaking Bad. Um, you know, it's it's it. And it, again, I I, I don't want to seem like I'm bashing the movie because it is presented beautifully. I mean, it is it is a really and and acted really well. I mean, I think Viola Davis is is tremendous. She's a force of nature almost, and and Daniel Kaluuya obviously. I mean, there's a lot of good people in this movie. Sure, um, uh, it's a great and, cast. Yeah, and and but it's not. And it, again, the the slow pace of that I'm so familiar with McQueen, uh, I sort of was ready for that too. But because even like the Hans Zimmer score that sort of interplays into it, I mean, it sort of makes you give you this false impression of a buildup that never really happens. And once it does happen, it, you blink and it's already passed. Um, and it it's more about characterization and that kind of stuff, which is fine. It just I, I get why uh, this movie didn't land as well as, say, his other movies. Like, I'm sure 12 Years a Slave, but definitely Hunker or Shame. Uh, because it's the same kind of tone. But because the plots in both of those movies are really bare bones, like real, real bare bones, like it 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 sort of is a seamless, it's an easier flow to get to. With this one, you sort of feel like you hit a wall. And you're not going through that wall, and then the movie ends. That, that's just how it sort of felt to me. I mean, even though, like, I was enraptured and I enjoyed it, but I just felt like by the end of it, I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I kind of kind of felt let, let down by that ending. Are there uh, other movies that do this uh, where they build up sort of a, a moment at the end and then they kind of underplay it or undercut it just to make a dramatic twist? Usually, like, in a twist? B plot line. My favorite, my favorite example is always The Big Lebowski. They always mm-hmm. allude to this great bowling tournament that never happens. <laughs> Sure, sure. But yeah, again, that's, that's more true. like the B story too, and and it's not that there's not and resolution uh, at the end. It's not that I there's mean, not resolution. It's just it's... to be fair, yeah. Uh, that was I remember this criticism being speaking of the Coens in this. Uh, first, uh, Russell, you were talking about uh, Bong Joon Ho, and you were like, "Oh, I wonder what he'll do." If you want to see an English language action movie starring Captain America from him, Snowpiercer, Snowpiercer does exist. Movie rocks. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that was even that was even Weinstein too. Even got behind. Well, that one. I, I, here's what I'll say with that, real quick, and I'll let you continue. When we were talking about the Americanization of uh, Guillermo del Toro and like indie directors into like mainstream, I think we were originally talking about Guillermo del Toro doing uh, Mimic which was like a horribly chopped up first studio project. And who was the other director we were talking about? Jackson. 
Jackson. It was his first things were uh, like uh, Dead Alive, Dead Alive, Dead Alive and things yeah. like that. And then he came to America and he made The Frighteners for Disney, which was about the safest like checkbox possible. It didn't have anything mm-hmm. really, you know, scary or gory or extreme. And then he did Lord of the Rings. So it's stuff like that. Yeah. No, and that's I, I, that's I, I think that's what I was kind of curious about uh, well, seeing McQueen do a movie like this. To to talk about like endings that are downplayed in the climax, and I think that the degree to which that's true here is you know uh, six of one half to I don't know I think you could probably have a debate about it, but uh, one of the Coen Brothers examples that I remember being very big at the time this movie came out is No Country for Old Men, where mm-hmm. Josh Brolin just dies off screen. Like, he just walks into that hotel area, and you just don't see him again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that- yeah, that's a good example. That one works, because it's like, it's it's actually sort of uh, traumatic for the audience, because you think you're going to see that character more, and then he's just gone. And you mm-hmm. feel like you've been cheated by the villain in the film, not by the filmmakers. Well, and it's, well, I mean, in that movie, even the people who kill him, it's not Shigur who kills him. It's like these Mexican gangsters. That's right. That's right. I remember this. Shigur just ends up with the money. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and, and but and that, but even that movie, there's a even even yeah, the sort of uh anti-climax of No Country for Old Men compared to this. Um with No Country for Old Men, you had that weird sort of like kind of coda with with Tommy Lee Jones at the end of kind of bringing home the title of the movie. Um with this one, it was basically viola davis wins the day the end um you know it 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 it, and and it gives you that sort of resolution i'm not saying it's not resolved i I would say no country for old men is far more anticlimactic than this movie because at least in this movie you know the antagonist and the protagonist have a loggerheads in no country for old men like chigger and tommy lee jones don't even lay eyes on each other they don't even get anywhere near each other um, and even though that's sort of the implied cat and mouse game of the movie, that never happens at all. So in that respect, I, I kind of see where you're coming from. With this one, at least sure. there is that sort of clarifying moment between the two. It just because the movie itself doesn't have enough thrust to get you to that moment and be kind of excited about it, it sort of comes off as flat. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess like the the point is obviously like these are a handful of uh, like women who are in this system that is sort of represented also in larger sense by Chicago politics that is like deeply, you know, the shit flows downhill kind of thing. And these what these three people, four people, manage to kind of get out of it, even while the system around them basically doesn't change to the extent that like even Jamal, who is fully a criminal, like he is uh, his brother is killing people for him left, right and center. Um, nominally has this like sort of righteous kernel to him where he's like, well, this is a South side ward that's been run by this white family for fucking forever. This guy has a house one block from the edge of the border of the ward, just so he can <laughs> say he lives here. Um, and like, he kind of wants to do this thing where he takes it back, but ultimately he just doesn't like, it just keeps on being the same place. It's still run by the Mulligans and nothing fundamentally changes except for a handful of people get out from under the rock, I guess. Mm. Yeah. So actually bringing that up, um, what about this is specifically Chicago? Cause you know, that's the big challenge with this one is that it's a Chicago movie. I know having lived in like Indiana, that it was usually you'd hear about like Rob Blagojevich 
and the general malaise and the yes. daily regime. Yeah, there's a lot. And aldermen are like that. The, I mean, in the ward I live in, for instance, about a year and a half, I guess, during the the same election where Joe Biden uh, won. Um, we had uh, our, our alderman has been the alderman of this ward for like 40 years. Close friends of the dailies <laughs> like the dailies are huge. They're, they're always in power in Chicago. Even our governor right now, Pritzker, who's actually a good governor, but his family is like old Chicago money jumping in and out of power forever. And he's, I thought he would be a disaster. He's pretty good. Got to hand it to him. But, you know, that is the case. That's how it goes. And this alderman did get beaten by this young Andre Vasquez, who's like sort of a young socialist candidate. So our ward now has like, a, you know, sort of a, a change in that regard. But it's very much like that is how alderman politics seems to go in Chicago, entrenched families, these long, 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 long running. And also, you know, I mean, this is obviously largely South Side politics, but oftentimes the elections are kind of run by what the North Side wants in terms of stuff like the mayor. Like, uh, you know, we had Lightfoot versus Preckwinkle in this last election where the mayor mayoral choices. All the people on the South Side preferred Preckwinkle, but... Northside liked Lightfoot and she turned out to be a, a nightmare. Uh, yeah. I don't know. But regardless, the other way this movie is like Chicago, though, is it, in a way that very few movies do, looks like Chicago and not just like Mag Mile or Downtown. Hmm. Like a lot of movies, you see The Dark Knight and you'll see like, yeah, it's Chicago but it's downtown. Like all, everything you see is going to be like the skyscrapers, yeah. the it's all, it's all bridges skyline. over the river. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, like maybe Wacker drive or Lakeshore drive, stuff like that. Like iconic. This has a lot of stuff from a lot of different areas. In fact, that are like, these are how apartments in not downtown look like they all look like that shit or, you know, it was filmed kind of all over. Some of it was filmed genu genuinely in the South side, that bowling alley. I know where that is. That's about a mile and a half from me. Actually, hmm. it's a real bowling alley, um, hmm. in, including the interior. Uh, that's kind of North side ish. The scene where the kid gets shot by the cop. That's about two or three blocks from where I worked when I first moved to Chicago. Um, one of the reasons I picked this movie is because when I first moved here, that was March of 2017, I got a job at this place uh, in the South Loop. And a couple months, three or four months into that job, uh, I was, people were like, oh yeah, like a few blocks away, the new Steve McQueen movie is filming. Like Liam Neeson is down there. Um, and I, I think that a lot of that was like, definitely that scene where the kid gets shot was super close by where I worked. That was only a few blocks away. Like I recognized the shops. It's that street that goes underneath the L train. Um, but also I think some of the interior shots were very close by where I worked because, uh, from what I understand, most of the cast was like involved, possibly one of the hideouts or something. Hmm. Um, but yeah, like it's all over the city. It looks like the city. There are a few shot places, uh, scenes that occurred downtown, obviously, but yeah, I, I think in many ways, more so than a Ferris Bueller or a Dark Knight, you're going to see what the whole city looks like instead of just what, whatever, the 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 little downtown square is. I 
for me, the personality of Chicago is the thing that I always remember. Um, and it sort of personified like when Sarah and I visited, um, we had to deal with a street cop that was very upset at a car that had pulled too far into traffic. And in LA, they would just write a ticket. But in Chicago, they just started yelling at the driver, like angrily <laughs> and loudly to the chagrin of the driver and to the entertainment of everyone who was in the, uh, you know, crosswalk watching this driver get reamed by a cop who just kept yelling at them. Um, I've always remembered that because that sort of, you know, that sort of, uh, big shoulder, uh, tough guy mentality, um, sort of, you know, like a Bears fan, uh, is sort of something that has always kind of stuck with me about Chicago. So that was one thing I was expecting in this movie was someone to be a lot rougher. (laughs) Someone like me, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you seem so aggressive and you're someone to the Bears in sports. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Listen, buddy, you had your chance last time. Um, they, and, uh, and I'll say this: uh, the scene where the kid does get shot, he says something about how he's on his way to a game. That street is very close to the United Center, so it checks out. He would logically be on that street if he were going to a to a like a basketball game or something. Bulls or or Blackhawks, I guess if it's the United Center. Um, yeah. The uh, um. Yeah, no, I and that's that that tracks as well for McQueen, you know, like because even like um, that small axe thing, it takes place in like this very specific neighborhood in 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 London, I believe. Um, so I he uses locations to draw out atmosphere and characterization, even you know, like because even Viola Davis's house, you get the sense that she is you know, very well-to-do, you know, and it's very high class and, and upper class. And then you, you go into the world of the, the, the nanny, you know, and it's, 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 it's still like colorful, and there's a lot of texture behind it. Um, and that's what I, he's, McQueen's very good at, at utilizing location, even for something like hunger, which is basically just taking place in a small box. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it He's very good at it, and and that's why I'm 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 relieved to hear that he uh, highlights he, he goes off the off the top ten list of of Chicago filmable locations. Um, I mean, because there's just there's just easier locations to film at. I mean, in L.A., I mean, how many times do they use the the L.A. Times Building for whatever reason? You know, like you just have yeah. these locations that are just a you know have been used before so they're easy you know and and they just kind of go to it's the same thing well i mean new york's a bit different isn't it because like it new york locations are so like you know first of all it's a smaller strip of land to to cover but also like you know you're gonna film Times square you're gonna film but you can also easily go to like the bronx and stuff and and film there although i don't yeah know, and that's well, what when i we appreciate get into- about this like it it doesn't just stick to you know Daily Plaza or, yeah. or Sears yeah. Tower. I don't think it cool. even for one time showed the uh, the Picasso chicken. That didn't get shown off at all. Yeah. The Picasso it, chicken. <laughs> what is the Picasso? The Skygate? The bean? What are you talking about? No, no. You, the, the Skygate bean, that's that one. But there's the Picasso chicken. It's like right downtown. It's like a big red thing. It's a Picasso sculpture, I think. Um, I, I just remember it as a Picasso chicken. Because it kept showing up in anything that would involve uh, WGN at the time, because I think it was close to their building. So oh, okay. Would... I, I looked yeah, it up. Yeah. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, it was close <laughs> to the WGN building, and I think that like 
a couple times they would have to go outside to shoot something and they would always have shots of the chicken the big old red iron chicken yeah um for whatever reason there were always kids on it and things like that it wasn't like a fun thing but it was a spot that i'd saw all the time every time i saw something to do with chicago i believe that's in in daily plaza yeah 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 so i mean that's why you know part of the reason why you know like i know zach and i are big fans of the wire but i mean you know david simon and company kind of sought out pockets in baltimore that like are as authentic as you can get and i think steve mcqueen's kind of got the same uh mission here with with his spots because because of the stark contrast between like a lot of these characters lives you know i was I was looking up a lot of these, like the the diner they meet at, that's down in the south side, right around the 18th Ward. Like, I'm sure the campaign offices, I couldn't figure out exactly where they were. I'm sure they're genuinely down in the south side around that 18th Ward, too. Yeah, I I, I think one of the one of my favorite sequences, and it's an odd choice, but it, it like McQueen every when when he makes an odd choice like that, and it sort of ends up being kind of brilliant. There's that scene where he gets into confrontation, I believe, with like a minister, Colin Farrell does, and he gets into the car. The camera stays outside the car, and he's going home, and it's literally just driving around the block, and you can see the stark contrast of neighborhoods, you know, like, where he's driving fun, and it's not a long drive. No. You know, and it just... And then you're in, like, you know, leave it to Beaverland. Exactly. Um, and and the camera does a very good job just <laughs> Even now right you're outside. quoting The Wire. <laughs> I know. I can't help it. Um, they, uh, it, it it's, it's a very, very cool shot to leave the camera out, because Colin Farrell's going through this kind of whole existential crisis. What am I... I don't even want this fucking job. Why am I doing i'm just doing it because dad wants me to do it you know and there's this whole like kind of like you know prisoner speech of like well too bad you're in it now you can't it's too late you know yeah what are you gonna do go down to the bank and punch a clock right yeah his Um, accent is really good in this by the way like that's something that jumped out at me because i've being in indiana i would occasionally hear like a hard chicago accent and uh his is pretty close yeah yeah he's not colin farrell's one of those guys that everybody was like He's a terrible actor for many years, but with the right material, he's pretty good. He just yeah, made some I, I, bad I think choices even, earlier. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, like, and I, I think he saw uh, True Detective and what that did for McConaughey and thought it would be the same. And apparently just didn't read the script because <laughs> that season sucked. Well, um, I mean, he's an actor. <laughs> he shows up when he's paid. Sure, but sure, you know, sure. Uh, I would say that that was definitely better than his turn in Daredevil, uh, playing oh, okay. Bullseye yeah, well, or Deadeye, okay. whatever There's was. a lot of Bullseye, and there's oh, a lot I, of things in that movie that shouldn't have happened, like the I feel movie like, in general. I feel like people in Bruges is kind of where people were like, oh, Colin Farrell can actually, yeah. can actually handle mm, it. Sure, yeah. I, well, you know. he, he also had a sex tape leak at the same time. Did he really? Time. I, I don't remember that. that. I don't yeah, remember he, that. It was like at the height of his career, he had a sex tape leak that was uh, awkward at best. Huh, uh, so okay. I think that hurt his career until people were like, oh, he's an actor and he can actually act. So I think he had to live it down and get away from it for a while. By modern standards, a consensual sex tape linking is like, who gives a fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, exactly. You, you more feel bad the fact that it leaked, really. You yeah, know, that's, really, I, yeah. I, 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 He's the victim here. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's that's a whole turn, though. Like, we have a we have a reappreciation for the fact that those are, you know, uh, victim situations, not like, you know, Pamela and Tommy Lee making yeah. money and, off and of the it days, yeah. In the post-Weinstein-Cosby days, it's hard to be like, Colin Farrell had consensual sex with someone and it was kind yeah. of awkward? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Scandal. Exactly. 
scandal scandal it's not like he did it in a in a hockey game or anything anyway um they uh yeah and that's why i think colin farrell you know for what he's being kind of like the 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 big baddie mastermind in this movie um does a good job of of maintaining that while trying to be a politician you know while still trying to say like i'm one of the good guys um you know and, yeah and, 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 it, and it, it, as privileged as he is he is still caught in like the gears of this system in his own way. Like he doesn't really want to be this politician. He even tries to break it and like give him, make a, make a deal with Jamal probably because he doesn't really want to keep doing this alderman shit. Yeah. But he's stuck. Like the system just keeps going. Like it, it yeah. preserves itself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So, it, I mean, I guess that's also a wire. wire yeah, economy. sure. Sure. I mean, sure. it's definitely like they always call it the uh, Chicago machine, like the Democrat machine. Like that's yeah. Chicago has been Democrat for as long as I can remember. And I think it's going to yep. stay that way. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not yeah. going to turn Republican in the era of Trump. No, no. And, no. and, and if, but, um, you know, and that there, you know, to get into that club, if you're an outsider trying to get into that system, doesn't make it easy on you um, at all. Um you know, I mean, like, look, there's there's a reason why 1968 Chicago riots happened. It's because Daly was a dick, you know, like mm-hmm. Daly went out of his way to make life miserable for those protesters. Um, and he did. So, yeah. But yet his name is that family name lives on in that. Synonymous. I mean, yeah, it's all. Yeah, oh, it's 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 mm-hmm. practically royalty, you know, like that. And Michael Jordan, probably. Um, yeah. And it's it's. But that's why, you know, with, with going back to the movie, you know, the, the fact that the movie kind of hints at these kind of bigger questions, you can tell uh, he wanted to make this movie a lot longer than it actually was. Because you get a lot of these introductions of like, you know, John Barenthal's in this movie for what? A minute? Maybe yeah. two? Mm-hmm. Um, Very and briefly. They, they, and there's no... He doesn't get any sort of characterization or anything like that. None of the other widows... Besides, you know, none of the other widows' dead husbands are anyone of any severe consequence outside of Liam Neeson. Um, so I wonder if, if had Steve McQueen had his druthers, if this was going to be like a, you know, like a Justice League four-hour director's cut, if that's what he kind of had in mind. Because it does seem like there's a lot of hints at outward characterization of the non-Viola Davis characters that kind of ended up on the cutting room floor, I'll bet. This would have worked better as a TV series, I think. I agree. Like they, I agree. They, and, and, and I can't yeah. say that that often these days either because, like, it's so easy to make them into TV shows nowadays. You know, like, I just got done watching that Station Eleven show um, on HBO Max and because and, and, Sarah read the book. And um, that was an example of where I thought, well, that probably could have been a better movie. That probably could have been better to trim it down. And, and I understand you're, you're going through this whole notion of like world building and kind of establishing a reality and everything. Um, but when the climax is centered around an emotional core between two characters, throwing in a bunch of chaff doesn't really pay off all that Lenny. You oh, sort sorry, of just I, feel like, well, I just watched a lot of it for no which, reason. Which movie are you talking about? Station Eleven. Station Eleven. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's a TV uh, show that just came out a little bit ago. Yeah, yeah. I'm familiar yeah. more with the novel, which I Sarah, understand has I, a number of differences. Yeah. From the... it, Sarah's read the novel, and I mean, it's it's fine. I I, I didn't really hate it, but I, and like I said, I, I just, I, I sort of feel like with a movie like this, I feel like it probably would have been he probably paced it out in his head a little bit differently than, sure. you know, cause you got to release this in, in Hollywood studios are backing it and everything. So 
you know, yeah. two well, and a half hours. That's it. Like a giant ensemble cast, but mm-hmm. to get enough time to really get like a depth of understanding for any of these characters, it it would have to be like really bold, like caricatures, or yeah. something stronger and more dramatic would have to happen. Meaning, like an action would have to happen yeah. on screen all the time. Uh, yeah. Like as as rough as they can be, the Marvel films definitely read that tempo and they keep that hmm. pace going so whatever emotional thing they set up in the first five minutes will get paid off at some point in some fashion and they're very economical uh but yep. in this one it really seemed like they needed to take more time uh like for me i would have loved to have seen more with viola davis and liam neeson to have made me understand why these two were together because that first kiss like i said was very alienating <laughs> to me do you any favors <laughs> It's like I've seen I've seen kisses from two old people before or two people of not old people, but people of like that are not like the romantic young hot leads that I could buy and be yeah. like, okay, those two seem like they definitely have like a chemistry there. I get it. Um But in this one it really did yeah, feel I, alienating I, to me. It was weird. Yeah, and I, I wonder if that is like a problem with the source material being that it is a miniseries, you know, that like the source material itself sort of implies a, a, you know, a different level that you can delve into. But mm-hmm. when you're trying to cram it in two and a half hours for a studio movie, you know, and they, and and again, to the movie's credit, they do their love and best. They really, really do. Um, it's not like I didn't feel like I didn't understand the motivations of any of these people. It was very clear about that. And n- nor did I misunderstand especially with the three women their relationship towards one another you know um viola davis is very cold and very you know demanding of it almost threatening um and well i think that yeah and i think that well she's i think she's very much under the gravity of the situation in a way the other two perhaps are not because she's been more directly threatened. So she's taking it with like a degree of seriousness. And I think even at the end, after it's completed, like the last shot, I think belies the fact that it's not that she's naturally just extraordinarily cold. It's that she is a person in an extremely tense, stressful situation who eventually is able to Get Correct. Out of it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a survival instinct, you know, right. and 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 that's why the the what I mean about where each of these other ladies rep- are in relationship to Viola Davis is, you know, like like Michelle Rodriguez's character is under the gun all the time. You know, sure. her her life is always under constant jeopardy, and and meanwhile Viola Davis has led a life of relative comfort and you know status. So it it that relationship is very clear without it actually being said. And that again, credit to McQueen and and the actors involved, not to necessarily the screenplay because the screenplay is very tight it seems like. And that's why do you guys have an opinion on on Gillian Flynn, the the gone? I mean like I I I I I, I it was an odd pairing when it was announced that that she was going to be writing this script with McQueen and McQueen kind of sought her out. Um, to kind of work on this screenplay. And this is the first kind of real screenplay that she did that isn't based off of her own stuff. I'm completely unfamiliar with her. So I'll, I'll leave this one to Zach. Well, to I mean, of, uh, like, well I'll start. Let me Chris, know. have you seen, did you see Gone Girl, the David Fincher movie? I haven't. Oh, okay. 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 Um, well, see, and, 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 and Sharp Objects is a, another one that she did, which is that they're two very totally different movies, but uh, kind of similar idea. Um, 
So I thought it was because she's a she's more of a novelist, really. And and, and Gone Girl, I, I don't want to call it an airport novel, but I mean, it's a very popular novel that that you know it's it easily digestible. Like a, it seemed like one of those bestsellers that definitely is, is easy to buy. Yeah, Maybe not I, as bad as the Da Vinci Code, but yeah, definitely right. something I don't want to put it in the, the, the Twilight, well, Twilight's young adult, but I don't want to put it in the, the, the Crichton sort of category, not necessarily, but like, I think that um, there, there's a tone to these things and she hasn't, um, I've never seen her do anything like this, but then when I'm watching, I'm like, okay, I get why she latched onto this source material um, because she likes kind of, either women who are strong but are broken or women who are broken who have to fake being strong, you know? And that's sort of where these kind of characters kind of are a myriad of all that. And I get, I, I thought it was a wise choice for McQueen to kind of acknowledge his own limitations, you know, and say that like, maybe if I get some, some estrogen in here to like kind of sure. really get the, 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 the root of these characters, I think it's a, it was an odd choice, but uh, uh, sensible. Uh, well, I guess I'd say I've not read any of Gillian Flynn's, uh, works. Um, my understanding is that she is like, uh, I'd say a level up from like sort of the airport thriller kind yeah. of genre. Mm -hmm. Like she's, she's slightly more skilled than your typical, like pulp airport thriller book, but it's still kind of the same sort of style. Like mm -hmm. these tight, these little mystery stories that are self-contained and all this stuff. Um, I think Gone Girl is good. I think that uh, I didn't uh, see all of Sharp Objects. I heard good things, but it was just one of those things where we were enjoying it and just kind of watched one, but never kind of finished for whatever reason. Um, That's an odd movie. That, that, that show was very strange compared to the book. Um, mm. I loved it. I thought it was a great choice, but but the book's kind of told very differently. And I sort of like that they, they went a different direction than the book did. But um, I, I think that, uh, yeah. So um, I don't know. I have like, somewhat positive feelings about Gillian Flynn. She seems like a skilled storyteller in her, her way, in her genre. Um, sure. But I also think that, uh, you know, you were talking about, you know, the decision McQueen uh, decided to include her and stuff like that. I do think that, like we mentioned up top, this is in many ways a different kind of movie for Steve McQueen. And part of what I applaud about it in that regard is... I appreciate him moving on to something different than what he usually does. Like some directors never really do that. And I think sure. this is an earnest attempt to be like, I'm going to try and expand my, uh, my film vernacular, I guess my range with yeah. this, uh, with this movie. And I, I think that's, I think that, yeah, uh, is and, that's and that's why I, I think that, you know, kind of going back to the, the discussion we brought up at the top, you know, like in, in today's Hollywoodization of, indie directors who finally get their shot there is a lot more bandwidth for doing you know like i i think it's different for when you're kind of put into the hollywood machine or when you voluntarily enter into the so the, that's what i think this movie was for mcqueen mcqueen was like i'm gonna try to make a fucking heist movie i want to try to make my version of a heist movie and i just want an oscar so you know they're gonna give me a, a truckload of money um i could cast whoever i want um, and, and let's see if I can do it. And, you know, like see McQueen, his mode is not to not broad appeal, you know, like no. most of his movies are not for the lowest common denominator. Um, so that's why you kind of got to admire a director who's never really done any material like this to kind of, 
I don't want to say reach down, but kind of, you know, have some fun with it and play with the toys of your typical Hollywood fare. Um, I just sort of wish that this movie had a better time doing it because it just didn't seem like anybody was really enjoying themselves. I'd kind of feel the same way about it. Um, if if we're at the point of doing kind of semi-final thoughts here. Okay, yeah, um, I guess that's true. <laughs> the, uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I liked seeing Chicago. It, uh, I, I can already feel that the exacts of what was happening in the story are starting to fade on me. Like, who was doing what or why it was happening. But I remember the overarching thing of, like, their husbands were all criminals and that's what they were doing. Um, I enjoyed it just fine. It it is just fine. I don't have any anything really negative to say about it. It was a little a little a little dull in parts, but I still enjoyed it overall. Um, yeah, I guess I, I'm kind of with you. I I think I wanted to like this movie more than I actually did. Like I I I had to work to to really enjoy it more than I did. I'm with you, it's a fine, you know, no runs, no hits, no errors. You know, it 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 it's it's a solid movie. There's not a lot of, you know, but you know, was it necessarily did I walk out of it thinking like, well, for, I did walk out of it knowing re- being reassured Steve McQueen knows what he's fucking doing, but I didn't necessarily walk out being like, wow, that's, you know, he could do it. He could do anything. He could do Hollywood, he could do Hungary, he could do 12 Years a Slave. I didn't walk out with that feeling. Uh I'm not saying it was a stumble. I I just get the sense that like we were just trying to get to the end. <laughs> and once we got to the end, everyone was more or less kind of relieved that it was over. And and that works for his other films because the, the atmosphere is so harrowing and the action is sort of brutal <laughs> in a lot of it, even with shame. Um, so without having that to sort of leech onto your brain and suck all the joy out of it and to just have this sort of heist movie without any fizzle to it, I did sort of feel like, well, you know, I enjoyed it, but was it worth it? I don't know. Um, but, you know, like I said, Seba Queen's earned a ball again. You know, he, he's earned the benefit of the doubt. I Small Axe is really, really good. It's it's long, but it's it's really, really good. So, yeah, it's fine. You know, it, it, no, you know, like a, like a famous, uh, my father-in-law has a famous line about whatever, it's fine. No runs, no hits, no errors. You, you know, it, it made it. It it did it did just that. So yeah, I mean, I I'm glad I finally watched it because I've been meaning to kind of watch this because I like McQueen. But uh, then I thought like, well, I still haven't seen Twelve Years a Slave either, and do I really want to put myself through that? <laughs> uh yeah um yeah it's I think that there is like you were talking about like the it's not as like the the degree to which it's less harrowing than other films, and I think that that makes some degree of sense i think that like uh i think that the part of this that is supposed to be uh dark and harrowing and like inescapable is just in america and in chicago like maybe in particular but this sort of the way the the way that the system is so heavily rigged uh the you know obviously there is financial emotional and physical abuse from these husbands prior to their death that these women kind of have to get over and indeed like there's even a police shooting of an armed black kid there's these corrupt politics and again that like sort of like very subtle like you know mulligan goes around a corner and goes from you know a shitty neighborhood to gated 
you know, big gated houses full covered in ivy. Um, like, I think it's supposed to be like, that is the inescapable kind of harrowing aspect. But I think there's also a degree to which you're correct. Like, that needs maybe more build, more time of its own. Again, like in, in The Wire, that is a thing that is very, very hard to escape. And it do, you do feel the weight of it on you. And it's because this is a mix of something like that, where it's like the these deep inequalities that are inescapable or nearly inescapable without like drastic action, you know, um, uh, are like a boot on your neck all the time, but mixed with like this, again, Gillian Flynn kind of heist sensibility is a strange mix in some regards. And, and I think that the, the boot on your neck aspect of modern American life is the part that gets the shorter shrift in the equation. Um, but I do think it's overall an interesting movie. I wonder, like, I think it's good. I enjoyed watching it. Um, and I could even see like McQueen making a similar, similar type of movie in a few years. That's almost more refined. Mm -hmm. Like, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it was an enjoyable, I think, but it was nonetheless, I think an enjoyable watch. I, I, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, yeah, that was, uh, widows. Uh, so, uh, we did not give out any bonus points. We, we missed each other that much that we just withheld all we of our We never points. do on the first episode. Um, yeah, we no rarely runs, do. So no fouls, no hits. It happened. No, okay. No, you'll, you're so close, but, um, so it's, <laughs> um, right now all of us have 10 points plus three bonus points, no bonus points given out. So that brings us to next up on the docket, which is Chris Boreff for Los Angeles. Chris, huh? what do we got? All right. So for me, this was actually incredibly challenging due to the fact that LA loves to film itself and loves to talk about itself and loves to make <laughs> movies about movie making. So trying to go down that list of what movies I should pick. Um, the In many ways, one... I had the easiest task because I had by far the fewest movies <laughs> to pick from. Well, it's but also... I also had the biggest handicap. Yeah. True, true. Um, in my case, I decided specifically not to pick Chinatown because it's number one on everybody's list. And I kind of, I think it might be time for us to just, just give a pass on that director, meaning not to get hit, not hmm. to give him a pass to come back. Why, why, uh, why, why do you say that, Borf? What, what, do you, what, what on earth do you mean? I mean, I'm just saying, Roman Polanski, I think, got... <laughs> In the same way that uh, people go out of their way to, or at least used to go out of their way to justify Woody Allen movies, mm. uh, uh, I just kind of wanted to give a complete pass on and no more. Russell, um, if you're if you're not familiar with what happened, Roman Polanski in an interview recently said that Marvel movies aren't cinema, <laughs> and so we're all yes. angry at him. That's the thing. If, if you're not really into all of the Incredible Hulk movies, then you're not okay with me. Yeah, it's just the thing. Um, so anyway, I picked the another movie on the list that I haven't seen, that I really wanted to see. I watched a little bit of it, but not all of it a couple years ago. The Long Goodbye. Nice! Uh, yes! Yes, it's a uh, Robert Altman movie. I've never seen it. Fuck uh, yeah, all the way that through. movie rules. It um, stars Elliot Gould, and it is it also has her Sterling Hayden in it. And as far as I can tell, it's sort of a 1970s update of Philip Marlowe set in Los Angeles. Um, 
I have no idea what we're in for. I I know everyone says it's an LA thing. I I wanted to pick something that was not um, Crash, something that was not um, the movie I was just talking about, the Chinatown, and I wanted to not pick LA Confidential. Like, and hmm. specifically, I don't know if this one's gonna do it, but I wanted to see if I could pick a movie that doesn't have filmmaking in it. But I have a feeling this one isn't gonna cut the mustard. There'll be someone making movies at some point in it because everybody has somebody making a movie in LA. Don't think so. Don't. I was think also so, tempted but... to do just as as a as an honorary side pick, Tangerine. I was mm. very close to picking Tangerine. If you guys have seen that, I have, I not, have not seen that, but I have okay. seen the Long I'm Goodbye. With it, but I, um, I'm with, I've heard it's very good, but I haven't seen Tangerine. I I have seen the Long Goodbye actually pretty recently. Um, uh, Sarah was watching it with me. She fell asleep, and she's like, "This movie's really good." And then she just fell asleep. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I I'm surprised you haven't seen it, Borif, but. Um, I I, I also have not seen it. Really? Oh, this it's one of my favorites of the era, uh, and really set the tone uh, for future directors, specifically like the Coen uh, Brothers, Wes I'm Anderson. I'm really curious. That kind it's of based thing. on a Raymond Chandler novel. Okay. Yeah, well, you bet. Yeah, it's Philip Marlowe. It's it's literally Philip Marlowe. Robert Altman. Um, how do you usually fall on Robert Altman movies? Not very a- highly. That's not very thing. highly. Because I had a memory of you but not I, liking a lot of his stuff yep. because you can never tell yep. what anybody's saying because yep. everyone's always talking over mm-hmm. each other. This one works, though. This okay. one works. Like, it's... it's it's it, The most... It, nobody... It's rare to see people try to do a movie like The Long Goodbye. Um, no, namely, the last person who I saw try to do it was uh, Thomas Anderson with the, with that Inherent Vice movie. Hmm. Um, I haven't seen which that Which was yet. a Pichon novel. That's... That it's it's kind of that vibe, you know. I, I, I we'll we'll talk to him when we get into okay. the long goodbye. Okay. But I'm excited because I I actually and I'm actually I'm excited to watch it because I I've been meeting. I, as soon as I was done watching it, I'm like I gotta find somebody to talk about this movie with. So yes, I'm excited. <laughs> um, Borf, get ready for a bonus point for the long goodbye because right. it's coming your way. Uh, All righty. Well, I guess on that note, it's uh, good to be back and uh, back nose to the grindstone. Holidays are over and we're back to work. Um, so join us next time for uh, Robert Altman's uh, The Long Goodbye and continuing our city theme. Um, so with that, find us on uh, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're, YouTube. Um, give us a like. Uh, give us a, a nice review. If you don't have anything nice to say, keep it to your fucking self. Yeah, or hit um, us up on Twitter because there's a Twitter that's actively being run that's by That's true. Carlson. Yeah, you can reach us on, I, I guess I should say that you can read us at Movie Trap on Twitter um, or uh, on Facebook where the Movie Trap um and find us there and feel free to reach out say hi or you hate us or whatever we're just happy for any contact really uh all right so on that note gentlemen it's been fun i have been russell carlson i've been chris boroff oh yeah and and this has also been that was chris boroff and this has also been zach powers uh yeah um friggin the the bean michael jordan john wayne gacy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> blues music Jesus. what have you <laughs> alrighty well thanks for joining us and as we always see here on the movie trap Diane Ladd is too young to play Chevy Chase's mom it's true it's the movie trap promise see you guys everybody ready you got the codes something goes wrong you're all on your own Okay, ready.